Thanks, Marion. Good morning, everyone. It's a huge excitement and privilege for me and for the, the worship team from 4S to be here to share the Pentecost weekend with you. Um, many of you were at the, the time of prayer on Friday night, and we thank you for being there, for, for praying for our country, which is critical at this time. Now, I must confess, I'm a bit petrified to preach now. I wasn't earlier, but I am now, because when I disappear at 20 minutes, could someone open their Bible up and bring me out of it, please? <laughs> In the envelope, yeah, with all the spiders. <laughs> We're looking at Pentecost today, um, and I've entitled the message, The Coming of an Army. I'd like to show you a picture that comes with a newspaper article from the Mail and Guardian written on the 10th of January, 2012. The writer of the Mail and Guardian writes, The ANC has invoked the spirits of the ancestors, late party leaders in brackets, for blessings for the ceremony and the celebrations taking place at Mangaum in Bloemfontein this weekend, as well as the party and South Africa. ANC President Jacob Zuma performed a symbolic sacrifice of a black bull outside Wyhook Wesleyan Church in Bloemfontein this morning as part of a cleansing ceremony. He used a spear presented to him by ANC stalwart Andrew Malangeni to perform the traditional act. Zuma said that the actions were symbolic and he left the actual practical slaughtering to be done by the young. Before the sacrifice was made, traditional and religious leaders and healers burned incense and performed certain acts to speak to the ancestors, asking for blessings over the country. The Reverend Kenneth Mishraw of the ACDP, African Christian Democratic Party, said, This country is not under economic, political, or any other attack. The attack on this country is spiritual and will not stop until its leaders repent of their allegiance to the spirits, the ancestors, and return to the Lord God Almighty that we will see transformation in this country. In Hebrews 10, verse 8, we read, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were often in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of, can you read the rest with me, the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Through only the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Today we're going to be looking at this passage from Joel 2, and I'm not going to read it as a whole scripture. I'm going to put it into the sermon as I go through the different points. If you could 
do something that, that is slightly different today. I've, I've done sermon notes for the congregation. You can have a look in your intimations and you'll see that there are sermon notes there. There are four points in the notes. If you the kind of person who likes to write, write if you just want to look at it, um, it's just really to make sure that you keep me accountable to preach every single one of the four points, even after 20 minutes. Joel 2. The Lord speaks about his people who have turned away from him and the result of what will happen. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Maybe I could just say again, and the day of darkness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them flames blaze. Before them the land is like the garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like Cavalry, just imagine this picture. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountains like the crackling of fire, consuming stubble, like the mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through the defenses without breaking rank. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses. Like thieves, they enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The heavens tremble. The sun, moon, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? What an encouraging way to enjoy, start a, a sermon in a congregation you never preached at before. <laughs> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your mighty word that can change us, that can transform us, that can change this land that we love. I pray that you open our hearts and minds to hear your word and to be moved by your spirit. And if, if I say anything contrary to your will, that you discard it from our minds before we leave this place today in Jesus' name. So what do we do? We've seen the locusts coming. We've seen the collapse of a country. And not only this country, many countries around the world. Countries that have turned away from the Lord and surrendered to false idols, to prophets that are false, to ancestors, to greed, to corruption, to our selfishness, to hedonism. What do we do? Well, there are three points or four points to respond. They're in your notes there. Repent, reply, rejoice. We start off with rend your heart. Rend your heart. 
I'd like to tell you a story to illustrate this. So about 12 years ago, I lived in the UK. I lived north London, uh, Dollis Hill, if anyone knows of it, Wilston Green is the area that I, that I lived in. And, and I had been there for a year, and I had a return ticket to, to South Africa. Um, and I, I had realized that I was running late. Um, and I was at the mercy of the tube system and trying as hard as I can. I had to get three different connections to get to, to Heathrow, Heathrow, Heathrow Airport. Um, and as, as the, the last connection was rounding the corner, it's kind of a, the tube does a circle. It goes into Heathrow and it comes back out. Has anyone ever jumped on that tube? Has anyone been, on, and has anyone been at Heathrow Airport? Okay, so Heathrow Airport has a, uh, the tube comes into two arrival stations, and the one, um, I'm not too sure, it's, the one is the arrivals and the one is the departures. Now, I had forgotten which stop was the arrivals and which was the departures. And there wasn't a sign, you had to actually get off the tube to go and see in the airport. And so I thought, well, I'm pretty safe if as, as, you, as I came in, I jumped off the first tube. I could go and run in and see, and if I, if I was wrong, I could get back on and then just jump off at the next station. But if I didn't jump off at the, the first one, then I was stuck. So the tube came in, I jumped off, I ran to look, and I was at the wrong terminal. So I had to go back, and I was watching the time because I was really nervous that I was going to be late for this flight. And as I got back to the, the station, um, I looked up, and normally it takes about five or ten minutes for a train to come. And I was just so grateful because there was a tube coming around the corner as I got there. And so I hardly had to wait. And I didn't pay attention to what the tube said or anything. I was just so excited it was there. And the doors open, and there's the conductors. You know they've got that saying. How does it go? Mind the gap, please. You know, you know that saying. And there's that hissing sound like as the doors open and shut. And the doors open. And I minded the gap and I, I stepped into the train. And as I stepped in and heard that hissing sound behind me of the hydraulics closing, I heard words I will never forget. The conductor, no, no, the announcer came over the loudspeaker and said, Welcome on board the non-stop shuttle from Heathrow to Paddington Station. We will be arriving in 33 minutes. I panicked. I didn't know what to do. I had made a silly decision, a wrong decision to get onto the wrong train, going past where I needed to be, going home. And as I came around the corner, out and into the open because the tube goes from an underground to an overland. I looked up into the sky and there were the planes flying off to the happy destination of South Africa. And there I was begging and pleading with the conductor to stop the train and he would have nothing of it. I wonder what decisions you and I have made in our lives that have caused us to go in the wrong direction. Decisions that we make those decisions and look back and think, that's wrecked me. Those things have caused me to end up in a direction I don't want to be going, doing things I don't want to be doing. You know, when we look around, 
Yes. Let's carry on. Thank you. Perfect. As we look around in the society that we live in, it's so easy to slide into doing things wrong. The other day I stopped on the side of the road to drop someone off and caught myself thinking, you know, just because everyone else is stopping to drop people off doesn't make it right. Because everyone else around is talking on cell phones while they drive, it doesn't make it right. Because everyone else is doing things that they're no longer caught for, prosecuted for, and fined for. It doesn't make those things right. In fact, it starts us down a slippery slope in the wrong direction. And we find ourselves doing things that we pointed others out and said, I can't believe they're doing that. That's wrong. And yet, that train catches us and takes us in the same direction. I stopped because I know, or I knew no one would arrest me, no one would hoot at me, no one would do anything to me, and I was right. They didn't. And if you do that week, that, that, those sort of things this week, you're probably not going to get stopped or arrested. But it doesn't mean what we're doing is not wrong. In James 5 we read, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Can you read the red part with me, please? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And that's the kind of thing we wanted to see on Friday as we pray, that we wanted to see today as we pray. But when we look at those words, we can change them slightly and say, if the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, then what does the prayer of an unrighteous person look like? Unpowerful and ineffective. Have our prayers become unpowerful and ineffective because we've been caught up on the train that is going in the wrong direction? In Joel 2, the Lord gives us the solution to this problem. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting and weeping and mourning, rend. That basically means tear, rip apart, destroy your heart. The heart that's doing these wrong things. And not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate. The God of the prodigal son, that no matter what we have done, He is gracious and compassionate when we return to Him. Slow to anger, and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offering and drink offering for the Lord your God. So if we've gotten onto the wrong train and find ourselves stopping illegally, cheating the taxman, slipping through those red robots that we never used to in the part, Lying or doing things that we know are wrong and that we shouldn't do. These are the things we need to do to rend our heart and return to the Lord. 
Second point, as we continue through the story of Joel, is the reply of the Lord. When we do this, when we as a people, when we as a church, when we as a country come before the Lord, as James says, confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Now I wonder if you've ever done that. I wonder if you've spent time, like we did on Friday, confessing our sins and praying and saying, Lord forgive me. What is the power in that? The things it does is for we become accountable to the person or people that we're confessing our sins. We gain the support of that person because they know our struggle and they can therefore help us in our struggles. We are liberated because God takes our guilt and frees us of that. And we have a united purpose because we can then pray together for what we know is wrong. And God promises to restore. You know this passage in 2 Chronicles. Such an incredible passage. If my people who are called by my name and then there's an action that you and I have to do. Four things. One, will humble themselves. Two, pray. Three, seek my face. And four, can you read number four? Turn from their wicked ways. The four things. Then, and then this is the Lord's response to our actions here. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. And then read that last bit with me. And will heal their land. That's the promise of God to us today. Now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. He's referring to the temple. I have chosen and consecrated this temple. So that, those words, my name, my name being the Lord's name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. This passage is the conclusion of Solomon building the temple and God saying, I will bless you, Solomon, if you and your nation, Israel, do these things. A promise to them, a promise to us. This is an incredible passage and I'm going to ask you to read the whole of this passage with me. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. As we look at the temple that was and the temple that has become on Pentecost. Would you read with me? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. I'm often asked, we, we as a congregation at Four Ways meet in an auditorium. And I'm often asked, when are you going to build a church? And my response to that, as we've worked through that process, is that a church is not about a piece of land. A church is not about walls and a roof. A church is about people. The temple that the Holy Spirit fills. And so the elders from Four Ways and the elders from Rand Park Ridge met together two weeks ago on a Friday night at our place to have a meal, to share communion, 
to break bread, to repent, to pray for our country together. And we weren't here on a Sunday morning. We weren't at fours on a Sunday morning. We were together in a home. But that was the church. God's temples of God's Holy Spirit praying together for the land. It is the church, you're right. And so my challenge to us today is not to go to church. Anyone can go to church. My challenge is, as we are filled by the Holy Spirit, let us be the church. Because when we be the church, we are the church everywhere we are. In the world around us, in our meetings, with our families. My challenge is that we be the church. I'm often asked as a pastor, what do you do with your day? What do you do with your time? Or ask the question, what does the church do? We, we saw some of the things about Mozambique this morning. But I want to show you the following. Kevin blessed me with this the other day, and it's hugely funny but very true. Pastor J. John sharing on the church. People often say to me, they say, J. John, you know, what, what do you do? It's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport. And I said, hello. And she said, well, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well, <laughs> I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioral alteration. <laughs> She went, wow! And it was so loud, her wow. Loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. If we are a follower of Jesus, wow. then we are part of a global enterprise. But not only is it global, it's intergalactic because it includes everyone that's gone before us. Wow. <laughs> so welcome to God's global intergalactic organization. You are the church. Bill Hybels, who you guys have done many of the Willow Creek programs, and I'm sure you know this, the local church 
is the hope of the world. And I'd like to take that one step further and say the following. The local Christian is the hope of the local church. Or the local Christian is the local church. That's you and I. So when this happens, when we rend our heart and build the Lord's temple in us, allow the Lord to do that, we see the Lord's answer. Then the Lord was jealous for his land. He took pity on his people. This is the good news. This is where it starts to get so exciting. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, olive oil, in other words, resources, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive out the northern horde far from you, pushing it into parched and barren lands. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea, and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea, and its stench will go up, its smell will rise. And so the third thing we need to do is to rejoice in the Lord. What an amazing promise that we look at. As Billy Graham's daughter was interviewed on TV after the 9-11 attack and asked, why would God allow this terrible thing to happen? She replied, I say God is also angry when he sees something like this. I would say also for several years now, America has in a sense shaken its fists at God and said, God, we want you out of our schools out of our governments, out of our businesses. We want you out of our marketplaces. And God, who is a gentleman, has just quietly backed out of our nation. Our political life, our public life, removing his hands of blessing and protection. We need to turn to God first and say, God, we're sorry for the way that we have treated you. The way that we haven't invited you. And as a nation, we need to invite God. And I think this is true for us as South Africa. We need to turn back to God and make Him the Lord of this land. And it starts by us being the church and practicing what God commands us. It's at a time like this that we need to read words like this in Romans 1. And I'm going to ask you to read with me from verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's time for us to, to go into the world and not be ashamed. And, and often we think being ashamed is not saying something, but sometimes our silence can be us being ashamed. In our remarkably busy lives, do we take time in the queue, time in the meeting, time with that person to speak out for God when his things aren't being done? Because our silence is us saying, I am ashamed of the gospel. Our prioritization of sports and parties and other events on Sunday is us saying, I am ashamed of the gospel. Our residence association is in Sharon Lee, just down the road here, and we had our AGM the other day. And the guys have put together this most amazing system. It's a camera system into a suburb that's boomed off, and over the last year, crime has plummeted to an almost zero extent, which is not heard of in suburbs in South Africa. 
And as they shared this in the meeting, and the guys praised the body corporate, as the guys praised the, the guys who managed the sound system, I had an opportunity to stand up and say, thank the Lord for protecting us. And you know what? I was silent. And my silence screamed out, I am ashamed of the gospel. Don't be like me. Don't miss those opportunities that God is giving us to stand up and say, praise God for what He is doing. Or let's ask God's blessing on what He is doing. Surely, He has done great things. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals. For the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing fruit. The figs and the vines yield riches. In other words, when all of this is happening, God is going to change this land. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For He has given you autumn rains because He is faithful. He has sent into you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grains. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. God has promised us to repay us when we return to Him. Can you read verse 26 with me? You will have plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. I didn't have a whole bunch of money on me when I arrived back at Paddington Station. But I took everything I had. Because I was so desperate to get back to South Africa, to buy the fastest train ticket I could get back to Heathrow. And I arrived back at Heathrow and ran as fast as I could to the counter. And there was a very kind-looking lady behind the counter, and I just started pouring my heart out, telling her how sad I was that I couldn't go home, telling her about my family and all the things I was going to miss in the beautiful, sunny, wonderful South Africa. I didn't quite say how terrible and gloomy and miserable London was. And I told her, and I said, is there something you can do for me? And I think she had just patiently waited for me because she knew the answer already. She said, don't worry. We'll put you on the 8 o'clock, I mean on the 10 o'clock flight. You see, I didn't know there was an 8 o'clock and a 10 o'clock return flight to South Africa. You see, what it's going to do, if we give everything, turn around and move back to home, the right direction, the Lord will restore, repay, and rebuild the land that He has promised us. I want to show you an incredible picture of what the Holy Spirit, and this is a, a silly analogy, but it's, it's a powerful picture of what can happen to the church when God ignites her. Just have a it's called a Thailand helicopter. And picture that thing as the church of God. Oh, 
of what God can do to His church, filled by the Holy Spirit, ignited by the fire of the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost, and lifted and elevated to make a difference. And when we fall, He will catch us. You see, this is the passage that comes at the end of Joel and the beginning of the church as Peter preaches. And afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Can you read verse 32 with me? And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an incredible promise. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord has called. We've looked at repenting today. We've looked at being the church We've looked at rejoicing in the Lord. You as a church are doing amazing things in the project that you started in reaching out, this outreach campaign with the gospel this week. And we are encouraging you as a church and praying for you and excited to follow in your steps in what you are doing. The gospel is what is going to change the country, not better economic policies, not more robust trade relations, not more stable economy, not a stronger rand, not even more jobs for the people. We see these things in many countries who have turned away from the Lord. Maybe it's prophetic to this country that we are struggling with power. Maybe it's prophetic that there is no power because we've turned away from the Lord and His mighty power. I read this, and I want to close with it. I had a power outage at my house the other day. My PC, my laptop, my iPad, and my new surround sound all shut down. Then I discovered that my iPhone battery was dead, and to top it off, it was raining, so I couldn't go out for a walk or ride or run. The garage door needed electricity, so it couldn't be opened. So I couldn't go out in the car. I went to the kitchen to make myself a cup of coffee, but the kettle I had forgotten. So I sat down and talked to my wife. You know, she's actually quite a nice person. I played with my children. I could see the joy in their experience, not to mention my own. I went and sat quietly and read my Bible. And as the frustration of no earthly power slipped away, the joy of eternal power started to fill me as I was lifted up to worship and praise the Almighty God, our Creator. It was in that moment that I understood 
that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. I'm going to ask you to do those things with me today. Let us as a church repent, return and be renewed by the Lord. Whether you believe or not, whether this is your first time at church or you've been coming here for 40 years, let us stand together and do these three things. Repent, return and renew. If you're prepared to do those things before the Lord today, please stand and then we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, a people who know that we've wronged, a people who are aware that our wrongs are part of the cause of the problem in this country, the way we've got onto the wrong train in so many areas and find ourselves going in the wrong direction with so many things. Forgive us for these things, Lord. We come before you on behalf of our government and say, forgive us for the policies, directions and acts that we are doing that are causing you pain. We come before you to repent as your people. And as we repent, we return. We get onto the right train, going in the right direction, back to you. We want to be your temple, filled by your Holy Spirit renewed, falling in love with you as if it was the very first time today. So that when we go out of here today, we are the church. Not just those who go to church. Fill us afresh with your power, your Holy Spirit. We pray now that you would breathe down on this room. Breathe down where we are. Fill us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. with your power and your might. Fill us so we can be an example to our families, our friends, and in our country. We pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people who were in union and united as one body said together, Amen. Amen. God bless you.